Some good news for investors over the last week, plus why investing in an index fund may not diversify your portfolio as much as you think, and problems on the horizon for the media industry, as Hollywood actors join writers in an ongoing strike. Your market moment starts now. Hey guys, this is Matt Walters here with Lee Mackey and Eli Freeman. Guys, how are we doing? It's Monday. <laughs> Don't sound so excited it's, to be here. It's been Monday. Yeah, it's been a long morning. We, we were talking about it in our meetings this morning, but we have fully reached the dog days yeah. of summer. Where Unless you have a pool or you've got something to do at the lake, it is brutal to be outside. It's Mosquitoes hot. are out. Flies are out. It's hot. It is. It's just... You know, you could kind of see it in our staff meeting today. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's laughing and everybody's chiming in on everything they did this weekend. And it was just kind of like, <laughs> <sighs> so, hey, it's mid-July. Mid-July. Yeah, still a good chunk of summer left, but we're it's winding. It's going to start winding down here pretty quick. I, I um, know. I talked to some teachers and I think principals reported this week, maybe mm-hmm. next week. And then, you know, teachers follow in a couple weeks and then. I talked to somebody, their kids start school second week of August. So it's um, rapidly approaching. Yeah. Yeah. Parents are ready for the kids to go back to school. <laughs> kids are not ready for school to start. So, yeah. Anyway, it's always, it's, it's funny how much you anticipate, look forward to summer, and then you get into a certain part of summer. Like, what? First now. of June. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, I mean, it's hot. Like, I'm kind of ready for fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's been a good summer. So, um, some positive takeaways from last week. So last week, the market ended the week up. Markets were up 2.4% for the S&P. Dow was up 2.3%. NASDAQ was up over 3%. This is kind of all started with the CPI report that was released for June. Um, CPI was up 3% from a year ago, lowest, lowest level since March of 21, up 0.2% from May. So that was lower than the expectations. I think expectations were 0.3? A point, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I think they were. Yeah, That's it. so this is in combination with other economic data um, coming in, and that the rising hope that the Fed will be able to bring down inflation without tipping us into a recession. Um, the Fed is still expected to raise rates again at next week's meeting, so this is coming up. I think to meet the twenty fifth, twenty sixth. So, guys, we just had a really we just had our investment committee meeting, sat in there for a little mm-hmm. an hour or so. Um, had some really good discussion around just kind of where we're at economically, what's what's coming with the Fed, and um, how do we unwind all this junk that's happened over the last few years with COVID and um, the stimulus and all of that. So thoughts on some of this news, how the market's reacted, and where we go from here. I mean, it was another good week. Um, you know, there was several reports that showed, like, like you said in your intro, that um, the Fed is winning the battle on inflation. Um, you know, it's 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 still they've still got a ways to go. I mean, inflation is still running double mm-hmm. what they want it to be. So, I mean, the fight's not over. <clears throat> I think that as we've said for the last several weeks, you know, there's probably another rate hike that's going to happen next week. Um, after that is anybody's guess, but you know, the markets are pretty positive right now. Um, even today, we're starting the week off on a on a pretty good note. So, we'll see if it continues. This has been one in what six months, eight months of good news on the inflation data. I know there was one month in there where it ticked back up and everyone was starting to to worry again, but watching it tick down and down and down is really encouraging. And what that could 
represent for a long-term investor or for someone that's that's watching interest rates is the Federal Reserve right now they have the interest rates around what is it four and three quarter or five percent mm-hmm. and are they going to keep raising it and then have to cut it even more aggressively or are they just going to hold steady keep inflation going down and if inflation gets all the way back then lower a little bit slower so it, it it's encouraging for if you're looking to buy a house yeah. maybe in the next two years that may <laughs> maybe in a year or two rates may be dropping if inflation continues to go down because mm-hmm. the federal reserve won't hold rates no. high you if know, inflation's and, all the way down and, and i think that they will begin you know i think they'll begin to lower before they've hit two percent mm-hmm. on the inflation rate um, as long as they see a good positive trend but you know i don't know i've, I've, been, I've been wrong before and what i think it's interesting to you know our expectations for rates have really been reset over the last yeah 15 years so what is you know when you use the word a word like normal like what is that referring to mm-hmm. right i think most people would be like well two three percent mortgage <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not normal <laughs> and so what you know rates are i don't know what rates are on a 30-year mortgage right now seven seven, uh, seven plus if you have uh-huh. bad credit you're in the eights okay mm-hmm. so let's the say seven percent so what is you know normalizing rates i mean is that Five percent on a thirty-year mortgage. You know, I I kind of mentioned I think that, it is like upper fives. Yeah, I think you know because I was mentioning it to um, a mortgage banker in town a, a couple weeks ago, and I said something about three or four percent, and he said, "No, if we can get back to normal," and he mentioned in the fives, mm-hmm. then um, you know, it's not going to sound great to everybody who's refinanced at mm-hmm. two and a half three percent, but you know, for those are in the market for a house, mm-hmm. it's still pretty good. Yeah. It, it was an encouraging week in the market. It has been an encouraging year, even for investor sentiment. It's been extremely encouraging. You know, and you're yeah. beginning, and you're be, one of the things we're going to talk on here in a little bit is the index waiting. But one of the things you're beginning to see a little bit of is a, a, a widening of the breadth of the market rally. You know, we've been yeah, so focused on just a few, a very few stocks that have led the market up, but we're getting to get some breadth in the market, which is a positive. Um, we'd like to see more, but um, yeah, it was overall a, a positive week. Um, it, it's one of those weeks where good news was actually good news, not good news meaning something bad. Right. So it was actually, oh, the market took it as they should have. Yeah, so I was pulling up a chart here as you were talking of the, so this is the 30-year mortgage rate in the U.S. going back to January 1st of 1972. I have no idea why I picked that date, but um, it didn't get below 6%. According to this chart, which I just pulled it up really quick, it never got below 6% until early 20, 2003. Yeah. It had never been below mm-hmm. 6%. And since, and then for six years going up to the great financial crisis, it was flat. It was right around, right above, below 6% mm-hmm. for six, seven, eight years. And then it trended down until it got down to the bottom, you know, and... 21 and then it spiked so we bought our first house in i think in 94 and i remember the banker saying man you're getting a deal this is you know rates have never been this low and i think it was around seven and a quarter right around that low sevens and then of course we bought another house you know three years later and the guy's like boy you're never going to get a rate this low. And it was in the sixes and just a gradual trending down. But, but yeah, I remember that time when we bought our, our house and, um, you know, we thought, of course we had no 
point of reference. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's just it's interesting because we talk about this rates coming back down, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, we we really need to. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast before, but reverting to the mean, like we kind of need rates to stay high for a while just to get back to average. Mm -hmm. And so it might mean we're at 6% plus mm -hmm. mortgage, 30-year mortgage rates for quite a while. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It just it hurts from a getting used to it perspective and adjusting, but I don't think it is necessarily bad. Right, right. right. And so so, um, so before we leave this topic, we'll, we'll take votes. The Fed raises by 25 basis points next week. D do we all agree that? I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to, but <laughs> I'd say I the so. fear of stopping too soon yeah. keeps them going for one more yeah. time. Yeah, I think so. So, um, all right. So next conversation, valuated indexes. So I, I put out a data brief a couple of weeks ago talking about indexes. If you don't know what data brief is, Matt has started doing minute-long videos, super easy to watch. They're actually really informative, and they're they're on our YouTube channel. It'll just be a different link. Different link, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so check those out. We're trying to put out you know, relevant content on a regular basis. And so um, I was touching on, you know, what is a valuated index and mm -hmm. how just most people don't understand what the S&P 500 index is, right? Um, I say most people, a lot of people don't. And so we're going to get into a little bit about what a valuated index is, maybe even touch on some other kinds of indexes. So um, a valuated index, which the S&P 500 is, I believe the NASDAQ 100 mm -hmm. is as well, is the larger companies, the companies that have the higher overall value, make up a larger percentage of the index, right? So it's not, if you own the S&P 500, it's not like you own mm -hmm. equal weights of all 500 companies. You have exposure to, to all, but you own a lot more of the big companies. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the point we're trying to make here. So of the S&P 500 currently, and these numbers are a couple weeks old, but the top five companies in the S&P 500 made up more than 22% of the overall index, and the top 10% made up over three hundred, uh, over 30%. So 10 companies out of an index of 500, you have over 30% exposure <laughs> to the top 10 companies. Um, thoughts on that, just kind of explaining what that is. Obviously, you guys understand that, but you know, what are the implications of that for most people? You know, there have been, there have been years in the past where – you know the mark, the markets have been up, but client portfolios have been down, and you know you see it even this year to a mm -hmm. certain extent where if you are not in the big seven, mm -hmm. you know your apples, Nvidia's, whatever the other ones are, then you, your portfolio may be flat or down. Um, it's not uncommon. I mean, there have been years in the past where if you didn't own the big, you know the big tech giants, then your portfolio did not look like everyone else's. Fox or, News when it pops up. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're not keeping pace with <laughs> Absolutely. Some of the major I mean, it's, and so you do have to kind of educate the clients of like, you know, yes, these companies are in the S&P 500, but their weighting is so far and above that of the other large, very, very large <laughs> companies mm -hmm. that make up that index. Right. Yeah. And there's, with that, you find that people might think that they're more diversified than they really are. So if if you bought the S&P 500 and you thought, I have equal exposure to 500 different companies, well, that's false. Mm -hmm. You have much larger exposure to tech-driven companies. So what that could do for an investor is that could actually tilt them towards they're invested more risky than they truly want to be or need to be 
invested because they hold much riskier companies making up a larger portion of their portfolio. They think they're diversified, but they're in companies that are a lot riskier for a portion of their portfolio more than they even knew mm-hmm. that they were. One one thing that I mentioned before we hopped on the podcast with a index that is value weighted as companies grow, that means they become a larger portion of the portfolio. So you're actually, if you hold an index, you may not know this, but you are a momentum trader Mm -hmm. because if you hold an index as something grows, it becomes a larger portion of your portfolio, making you a momentum investor. Yeah. Like you're putting more money into those positions without even knowing it, Mm -hmm. like a higher percentage. You know, I think it's, as as y'all were talking, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, we'll even tell clients, well, don't look at the Dow because it's not a true representation of the overall market because it's Mm -hmm. 30 industrial stocks versus 500. And we'll say the S&P 500 is a much more accurate representation of what the market's doing (laughs) when in reality... We should just say, hey, go follow these seven stocks, yeah. and, and, you know, or exclude these seven and then look at everything else, yeah. you know, because there, there have been times on my ticker, um, on my computer, you know, red's bad, green's good, where the indices are up, but 90% of the holdings are red. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it, it's just an education that we have to have with clients. Uh, we have to even remind ourselves from time to time that, hey, you know, these are value-weighted mm-hmm. indices that we need to, you know, keep that in Well, mind. if you look at, so this is interesting. If you look at year-to-date, the S&P in its true form, value-weighted, is up 18%, yeah. call it, give or take. The equal weight of that, of the same index, where all companies are weighted equally, is up just under 8%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 10% that difference. overexposure to those big names has produced 10% you know, more returns. But if you back up, say, over a three-year period, the annualized return is 12% for value-weighted, 13% for equal-weighted. Okay. So there's not all that much of a difference over yeah. a longer period. So the, it doesn't last forever, I guess, is kind of what I'm trying to say, is that you have these periods where some of these big names really outperform, mm-hmm. take off, and kind of run. But then you'll have a period where the rest of them kind of catch up and, mm-hmm. and play catch up. So, um, you know, the Dow, you referenced it, uh, Lee, you know, the Dow is a price weighted index. So literally the the price for which a company's trading for on the exchange is dictating the weighting within the index. Now that only has, like you said, exposure to 30 companies, but that's just a different kind of beast altogether. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, this is really good information. It's It's pretty basic, but it's really, misunderstood and good information for people to know because you see these ticker symbols or you see these charts and the prices of S&P 500 and the Dow and the NASDAQ all over the place. Any news channel that you Mm -hmm. turn on, right, they've got the red line, the green line, what's it doing for the day? And a lot of people just don't even know what that means, Yeah. right? And so um, just understanding that, hey, when I'm looking at the S&P 500 currently in its true form, like over 30% of that is 10 companies. Yeah. And so... um, there might be a lot of companies that are doing really, really poorly, but if the right ones are doing well, it could be a green number for the day. Yeah. You know, um, I was driving late last week with my 13-year-old son, and he got a new phone for his birthday um, a few months ago. <laughs> and, you know, on the iPhones, they have the, the stocks page where they have yeah. a few stocks. Well, he had thrown in a few companies in there uh-huh. at 13, which I was very proud of him. But he was going through saying, well, this company must be better than this company, and this company's better. And I was like, why? He said, because they're the price, the number was higher. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he associated 
the higher price with being a better stock. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the Dow, it, it kind of is. You know, there's a heavier weighting. So it, as we were driving along, I, I I don't think he was ready for the you know the the discussion that we're having today. But I did think it was interesting that he attributed a higher stock price with mm-hmm. being a better company. So yeah, I found it interesting. Any any final takes on just kind of indexes in general, how they're made up and things to be aware of? It's an education, just like everything else is. I mean. But you're right. You you see it it's everywhere. everywhere. You mm-hmm. know, your radio, you know, your news, your most basic news. They'll go to a commercial. And one of the things they'll do right before the commercial is, and today in the markets, yeah. this happened, this happened, this happened. Well, if you look just at that, you might think, well, my portfolio is up. And reality, mm-hmm. it may not have been. And it's not. So here's one thing I'll kind of leave on the index thing is looking at an index for, I would say, a lot of people, especially later in life. It's not an appropriate benchmark to use, okay? Now, if you're looking at, like, kind of total portfolio, sure. right? And so I think a lot of people look at, well, I'm looking at the S&P 500. Am I outperforming and underperforming? That may be a very inappropriate benchmark for what you're trying to do, what you need to be doing. Now, if you're younger, right, and you're trying to – maybe that's a great benchmark for you. But you don't always want to be referencing how you're invested, what your portfolio is doing to just the big indexes. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have or don't need to have 30% exposure to 10 companies, then you're probably going to deviate in a big way from what the S&P 500 is doing. You know, right. and, and, and that's per, probably and, just fine. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. And I'll I, just say one of the things that you mentioned, and I think it's very important, is that we've mentioned three. There's hundreds, yeah. mm-hmm. if right. not thousands of different sure. indices that we can peg portfolios too we just happen to mention those are the most common yeah 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 and i think piggybacking off of what you were talking about matt that gets into risk adjusted rates of return Mm -hmm. and that's a much more complicated more it's a harder number to get to but that's where you start getting to okay are we actually outperforming or underperforming right once you can get to an accurate risk adjusted rate of return and that's just that's almost too difficult for people to come to, even for for most inv- mm-hmm. investment professionals to come to, what yeah. is an, a good risk adjusted rate of return for all investors in your circumstance? Correct. Your circumstance. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good conversation. One that we might circle back to and get into more um, depth in the future. So a really hard pivot. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the writers and actors strike. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, I have I no not, idea what's going on. I don't know a whole here. lot about the investments, but man, you just <laughs> you mentioned Hollywood. Yeah, I'm out. I'm all over it. I'm out. So, all right, could we see a dry season for both the movie industry and streaming? So currently, the Screen Actors Guild Union and the Hollywood Actors um, won't take parts in production because they're both on strike in the Writers Guild Union. I don't even know what it, any of these things are. Um, but I for know, the first, I, I know ahead. one went on strike back. April, May, okay, earlier yeah. this year, and then somebody went on strike just last the, week. Yeah, just the other day. Yeah, for the first time, um, they've both been on strike since 1960. Two main hangups: the use of AI in television and film projects. That's pretty interesting. Um, and then fair play for writers and actors when it comes to projects on streaming services. So, guys, we've obviously seen. I mean, we've we've been alive to witness it. Um, you know, the change in that industry from. Mm-hmm. how movies used to be produced and made and, and then rolled out and distributed to how it is today. Um, 
it's obviously impacted a lot of people, and they're not too happy about it. You know, last week out in Sun Valley, Idaho, they had all the big media giants there for their annual meetings, whatever they do. But um, they they had a long interview with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, mm-hmm. and I really found it fascinating um, how how much change is going on in that industry. And the one way it affects us, not only as consumers, but as investors, is, you know, Netflix, Prime. I mean, they have their own production companies now, Apple, Mm -hmm. you know, and if nobody's writing, you know, and then the actors are on strike, um, they're saying it would hit network television hardest the first because they have the live stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it would hit the streaming services later. But, I mean, shows like um, the late night shows, I can't Mm -hmm. even think of one now. Um, Jimmy Fallon, you know, they have been on reruns since May because because the because the writers are not Mm -hmm. writing, Um, and so yeah, it's affecting. It will begin to affect a lot more, and I think now it's kind of a matter of who's going to flinch first. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of playing chicken, but um, you know, these streaming services have a lot of content there. Um, so it's just kind of a matter of how, how long, long could they limp along yep, before new content. And they say that, you know, it'll hit network television a lot harder first than the streaming services. That's so. interesting. I, this is just a space I know so little about. <laughs> yeah. And, but you think of, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon's probably a good example. I mean, I don't know what the pay structure is for this kind of a setup and what the writers make versus Jimmy Fallon, but I would assume it's a very, very, very small yes, fraction. I would think mm-hmm. so. <laughs> right? And just the fact that, like, hey, the, you got writers that walk out, and now they're running reruns, it just goes to show you the importance. <laughs> I mean, the value that the writers have and how, hey, Jimmy Fallon's super talented, but um, you know, one of the things the content. Yeah, and one of the things they were saying this morning was how it would affect, like, a Netflix or a Prime. You can just easily, if you get tired of watching the same old things on Netflix, you can just call up and cancel your subscription. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about that. I I did that just oh, in you, the last week where I, I yeah, stopped so Netflix. Yeah, we switched to switch. Apple TV just for a little while. Yeah. We will watch that and we might switch to switch another back. one. There's no yeah. like startup no cancellation. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. But, so they said that that, would, that could eventually hurt somebody like a Netflix if yeah. people just got tired of watching the same yeah. stuff. Re- irregardless of all of this, I, I just don't like hearing about unions and then stopping what is a good market. I, I'm a much bigger fan for private companies being able to make private choices. And if you don't like it, you go to a different private company. Yeah, yeah. And you've seen a lot about unions lately yeah. with this. And it then seems the, to be heightened. All the, pilot, like the, all the airlines, mm-hmm. you know, going back to last year, you had Delta and then American. Railroads. United just struck, it looks like they struck a tentative deal, which I'm yeah. very thankful for because I'm flying United next week. Are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> American Airlines as well. Yeah, so uh, you've seen a lot about that. Um, but, you know, I don't yeah. know. I mean, again, this is a world that I do not follow. I like their content, but I don't know the behind the scenes, but... <laughs> You know, uh, take a rider, you know, are they employed by any one company or are they kind of riding? Like an independent contractor? Yeah, yeah. and so do they need that union to kind of protect them from the standpoint of they, they're not working for a private company. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in it for themselves. So I don't know. I just know that there's a lot of people walking around street corners in Hollywood <laughs> holding up signs. So Yeah, there's we'll some see. big names out there too. I think yeah. Like, uh, Jason, is it Jason Sudeikis yeah. or whatever? Yeah. He was out like picketing with the group and so yeah it'll be interesting it's a big deal well 
Good conversation today, guys, with the uh, market and what it did last week, you know, indexes and how they're kind of structured, and then wrapping things up with a little Hollywood insight. So, as always, we want to end with a thought of the day. This one is from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Matt Hager reminded me he's the guy on the $100 bill, so Correct. I appreciate that. Um, he said, and that's it. He's only on the $100 yeah, bill. Yeah, that's all he's known for. <laughs> <laughs> he said, diligence is the mother of good luck. So I like it. As always, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on The Market Moment. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.